0: And now for something completely different. It's a Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors.
1: Well, I tell you what, if you uh, started taking take a look at some of the media headlines right out of the gate this morning, you'd think that it was nearly the apocalypse on uh, CNN right now. We've got extreme weather in every region, rain, flood, heat, <laughs> you know, and then we've got on CNBC this morning, markets in turmoil. You know, so again, it's kind of almost like, uh, you know, we've gotten into a theater of Mad Max here <laughs> you where know, you know, women aren't having babies, Extreme climate crisis, oil prices running to the moon, and and uh, you know it's all run by the one named Biden. So we'll you know we'll <laughs> we'll deal with it as it comes anyway. Uh, point is, this morning, of course, uh, while there's no good news coming out of the gate, futures are pointing up a little bit this morning. As you know, we start talking about the Federal Reserve this afternoon. Will they won't they this is the big issue today is it going to be 50 basis points or 75 basis points or more again the big concern over the last couple of days and why the market's been under so much pressure and we've had this kind of waterfall sell off in the markets over the last three days is because of that higher inflation number that came in last Friday that certainly kind of spooked investors and particularly now with the fed kind of committed to battling inflation the question is is how long will they battle inflation here's the interesting thing from this perspective while there's a lot of people saying the fed has to fight inflation inflation will take care of itself eventually now you're going to you know inflation when it runs above 5% historically you're going to get a recession recessions tend to fix inflation because it's a supply demand imbalance The bigger problem for the Fed is really not inflation. Again, you you deal with the inflation as it comes. It eventually takes care of itself. The big risk is financial instability, and there's plenty of that potential within the markets. Mortgages recently went no bid. In other words, mortgage traders were simply putting out offers that nobody would take. And this is because of that spike in interest rates. Mortgage rates are now over 6%, actually pushing about 6.5% on a 30-year mortgage right now. Huge jump coming up from 5% just a month or so ago. You know, that's going to impact the housing market. We're starting to see credit spreads widen out here a bit. Volatility is on the rise. Market asset prices under decline. So, this is going to be a real challenge for the Fed now in terms of trying to hike rates to combat this inflation headline, which, as I said, will take care of itself. On the other side of the coin financial instability really is a much more important issue for them because it impacts so much of the economy at one time as we start to get this recessionary drag in the economy if you also have a combination of that with financial instability all of a sudden you get a much bigger problem that you can potentially it can get out of control very quickly and that's what we saw back during the lehman crisis again markets were under pressure we were in a bear market Uh, before September, and then, you know, at the wisdom of the FOMC and the Federal Reserve and the bankers, they all decided to force Lehman into bankruptcy, and, well, we know how that turned out. So the problem with financial instability is you can get away from you very quickly, and it's very hard to put that genie back in the bottle. So, again, one of the questions and one of the things that the Fed has to be considering here is the risk of going too far too fast, and hiking rates to the point that something breaks in the economy now again a lot of people expecting 75 basis points today some even talking about a one percent hike today to combat inflation we'll see what they come out with i kind of suspect we're going to stay with 50 basis points today with a wait and see approach over what's going to happen get another report or two on inflation before making any further bigger decisions we'll see what happens that comes out at two o'clock today Markets are trading up a little bit this morning. Ahead of that, um, we'll see if they, they've been able uh, to ho- kind of hold onto those gains. That's been really kind of a, a unique challenge for markets over uh, previously. Is holding gains? We keep getting these gains, and then we immediately sell off at the open. But again, the markets are simply holding above the 200-week moving average right now. That's important. Uh, We've had two straight weeks of pretty brutal selling here. Wiped out all those gains that we had put up on the board over the previous couple of weeks that we talked about getting this reflexive rally. We got that. We talked about selling into that rally, adding a short position. Well, that that was fine. And then all those gains got completely wiped out and more as we now are setting new lows for the markets this year and looking to challenge longer-term bullish trends. Now, interestingly enough, it's not just, you know, talking about, you know, equities, but, you know, things like uh, cryptocurrency as an example. This, you know, this cryptocurrency was supposed to be the alternative currency. It was supposed to be the the new gold for investors. It was going to be the offset for inflation. It's really been anything but that. Um, Bitcoin now breaking below its 200-week moving average this morning, trading just around $20,000 per 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 coin. That's a huge decline. Bitcoin was trading nearly at $62,000 just a few months ago. So again, you know, very quickly this year all those gains from 2021 have now been wiped out plus more in fact, you're now trading at levels on cryptocurrencies going all the way back, you know, to uh, 2018, 2019. So uh, again, you know, all these speculative assets that were driven by a massive amount of fed liquidity retail investor exuberance, you know, and we wrote articles talking about this would all end the same. And it was not not believed, right? Because retail investors were posting, you know, videos and TikToks and being influencers about how to trade stocks for a living. And we're like, this all ends the same way. And it's going to end when liquidity leaves the market. And that's exactly what's happened here. Now, the question, the big challenge for investors is weathering this process and then coming out on the other side of this. The, the problem is that when you're within a bear market itself and you're in the midst of one, as we are now, you begin to start to trend to think uh, that prices can only go lower. And we're seeing a lot of that impact currently. We're seeing a lot of people talking about, well, prices can only go lower from here. There's no reason prices can go higher. That's actually a good thing. You're getting people extremely bearish here. Now, we're not quite to extreme bearishness. We're getting there. But we're not to that level just yet where people don't want to own stocks at all. We're getting close to that point. We're starting to see more and more of that inflection. But markets are now trading well below two and three standard deviations below their their 50-week moving average. Now, this doesn't happen very often. In fact, there's only a few times in history where you trade to such extreme deviations from long-term means, and that typically tends to denote bottoms in markets and where those opportunities to actually start acquiring assets becomes much more attractive. Again, we're not quite there just yet, but we're probably getting there sooner rather than later. And this is despite the fact, again, you know, concerns about inflation, Fed rate hikes, those things are very transitory in nature they change very quickly when something breaks in the markets. Um, And again, it doesn't necessarily mean that asset prices have to plunge. Certainly can go lower from here. And no doubt about that, there's certainly that risk. But again, we're getting to the point in terms of extreme deviations where you are set up here for a fairly decent reflexive rally, at least, if not actually starting to find an eventual bottom in the market. And right now, around 35 500-ish on the S&P really seems to be about where markets are trying to target themselves. Again, a bit lower from here. We were uh, you know, trading down towards that yesterday. We've got a little bit more to go there, and that could certainly be a reasonable target. So kind of be watching where this market starts to actually stop going down on bad news and starting to respond to good news. Again, we're not there just yet. Again, too many people are bearish. We've got a lot of bearish sentiment, a lot of headlines out this morning. You know, it's now back to Thunderdome on the headlines in the media. (laughs) We'll talk more about this and more right after the break. Don't go away.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: Hurricane season is here, and along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go, and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
1: the show this morning. You know, it's interesting as we, uh, you know, kind of talk about things, inflation, of course, uh, the big concern for everyone right now, it's uh, just a function that, you know, it's impacts everybody where it hurts the most. You know, it's, it's interesting when, you know, we have political events that are going on in the economy. Most people aren't attuned to that, right? I mean, if you pay attention to politics, you're into it. and You understand who the players are and what the consequences are, et cetera, of of policy actions, et cetera. If you're in the financial markets, you know, you understand what the Fed's doing. But these things don't really affect a broad swath of Americans because, you know, most people are just doing what they do, right? They get up, they go to work, they raise their family, they come home, and they're trying to pay bills. And the one thing that impacts everyone and gets everyone's attention is inflation and particularly when all of a sudden they literally can't afford to buy things this becomes much more noticeable and again who do they blame they blame the guy in charge right whether it's his fault or not is irrelevant we've talked about you know the the problem with being president is you just kind of get stuck with whatever happens in the economy even though you may have had nothing to do with it And, and there's plenty of plenty of history that suggests that previous administrations are just as responsible for what's happening in the current administration, but we just blame the guy in office, right? So it doesn't matter, you get it. And that's showing up in the presidential rating polls now, You know, some of the lowest ratings of any president on record. Uh, not surprising with inflation running at 8.6% right now. Food prices up, gas prices, depending on where you live, between 4 and $6, $7, $8 a gallon. Uh, You know, it's interesting. My son calls from Germany. He's like, gas is so expensive here. And I'm like, yeah, and you're buying it by the liter. So it's really twice as expensive as it is here where we pay by the gallon. Right. So, you know, he's he's paying between 10 and 12 dollars a liter right now. And, you know, we're paying we're complaining about six dollars a gallon. So, you know, these are you know, it depends on where you live. But the point is, is that this all affects everyone and everyone you know sees inflation and everybody wants to do something about it right now we got to fix this problem and there's there's certainly things that we can do but you know solutions in terms of producing more oil to try to lower oil prices as an example takes time uh rig counts are coming up i'm actually doing a an article on this right now about oil prices but oil prices as with anything tend to cure high prices and you know this is The one thing that the lessons that we fail to learn throughout history is that we're always trying to mess with stuff, right? You know, um, for the last, you know, 15 years, 20 years, the Federal Reserve has been trying to figure out how to extend business cycles, right? We don't like recessions, hate recessions. Recessions are bad. So we we don't want to have recessions. So let's figure out ways to, you know, to, to do things. To try to extend the business cycle and that's great that's fine and dandy except it leads to you know bigger booms but also bigger busts because everything reverts to the mean eventually you can extend something you can stretch it you can warp it you can do whatever you want but eventually everything returns back to what the underlying fundamentals are and you can't get past that basic inevitable cycle And reversions to the mean are a very important part of that cycle. And and this goes to inflation. Inflation right now is well above long-term means for a variety of reasons, right? Things that we decided to do. We decided to send $5 trillion of cash into the economy and shut down the economy at the same time. You have no production. So you have this massive deviation of inflation from long-term means. It will revert to the mean it's just a function of time the problem is is the more that we try to do things to increase the rate of that reversion the worse the outcome is going to be because again we're messing with that normal economic cycle the lesson we failed to learn over the last 40 50 years now is that trying to control economic cycles has bad outcomes but yet we keep trying to do it you know it's like almost a definition of insanity which is you know you keep doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result and that's what we keep doing we keep trying to figure out hey if we suppress interest rates or if we put money in the economy or if we issue more debt or if we provide this financial support or we provide that financial support which is all done through debt issuance by the way then that should solve this problem. But yet all we do is wind up creating a bigger problem. And at some point, we've just got to realize that we've got to let the economic process deal with itself. Now, look, it's going to be painful. You can't create the problem and not expect to get out of it without some pain. But once we would allow the economic cycle to cleanse itself, yes, it would be very painful. It would be terrible for individuals. People would lose their homes. People would lose their jobs. But once you cleanse that excess out of the system and allow the economy to do its work, its Darwinistic processes, strong companies survive, weak companies fail, companies that are living on debt because interest rates are low, they go out of business. But you get a healthier economy. And you get an economy that provides better prosperity for everyone relative or rather than, I should say, than just a relative few, which is the problem we have now. And then after that, you leave the economy alone and you let it do its work. Business owners, they're the best allocators of capital. As the economy begins to recover, they begin to allocate capital into the economy. But maybe now, because there's not this idea that the Fed's going to turn around and bail them out every time they make bad decisions, maybe they're a little bit more prudent about how they allocate capital for longer-term growth, better outlooks. Then you allow the economy to simply work through its normal cycle. And, yes, you probably have recessions that occur on average maybe instead of every 10 years, maybe it's every six years. Maybe you have a little recession more often, but they're not these devastating economic collapses they are just these simple reversions in the economy that are removing some of the excesses that get built up during the previous cycle but you begin to reduce over time reduce debt increase better economic outcomes better prosperity and a and a and a better economy that actually as i said benefits the majority of individuals rather than just a few but again that's a pipe dream we're not going to let that nobody's going to actually do this right we've gotten too used to the idea. In fact, uh, it's an interesting report out this morning by Bank of America. They did their global fund manager survey. And, you know, the question is, is where's the Fed put? And all the global fund managers are weighing in. Well, the Fed's going to come in and start doing, you know, cutting rates and doing QE at 3,500, 3,400, 3,300, 3,200. Pick a number, right? Everybody's Everybody's just now counting down. Great. The Fed's going to hike rates today. Awesome. But when are they going to start cutting rates? And the belief is the, the Fed's going to cut rates, and the faster they hike rates, the sooner we get to the rate cuts. That's that's the goal, right? The goal is hike rates until you bust something so you can start lowering rates again. And the faster you hike rates now, the sooner we can get to the rate cuts again. That's what That's what financial markets are banking on at this point. And we can see the Fed potentially hike rate 75 basis points a day in the market. Love it. Because, again, closer to the next rate cut. Closer to the Fed being done hiking rates and tightening policy. That's kind of the insanity we've gotten ourselves into in terms of financial markets. But it is what it is. So we have to play that game, right? As investors, you know, it's, it's all pipe dreams that we actually allow the economy to work. We have to deal with what the economy is doing, and we have to deal with what the Fed is doing. We have to deal with what politics are doing, and that all has inputs into the financial market, so we have to invest accordingly. And what we have to deal with right now is the fact that the Fed's going to hike rates today, and what's going to be most important about that is not just them hiking rates, but what they say about inflation and their next policy actions, taking a look at their what they call their dot plots which are you know where they're expecting rates to be over the course of the next six nine twelve months now i'll mind you that they're wrong always they are the worst predictors of economic outcomes of any (laughs) economist on record but you know we look to these guys to run monetary policy they're always wrong they never get to their targets Right. Whatever their targets are, we never get there. But, you know, they're going to be making these predictions. And the thing will be to look today to see, well, all right. They hiked 50 or 75 basis points today and now we've moved up expectations and comments are being made that, hey, they may hike 75 basis points at the next meeting because of where inflation is. Or they may say we're going to hike 50 and wait to see what happens with inflation over the next month or two to see if that was an abnormal You know kind of spike in inflation last month or if this is something that's going to start to tailor off again we're starting to already see there's a there's a lag effect of housing prices getting priced into inflation that will likely start to show up a bit next month we'll see all right we'll come back from the break how people are dealing with inflation is kind of interesting and uh You know, be interesting to see if enough people choose this path where we kind of wind up next. Be right back after the break.
0: advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com in
2: 1999 a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survived. As protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team.
0: You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
1: Welcome back to the show this morning. So, a couple of things that um, you know are interesting that you know in, in, individuals tend to do things to cope with inflation in different manners, and you know it's it's one thing to start doing you know cutting back on expenses and you know these types of uh, of issues. Um, but one thing that we're starting to see people do is is move to mexico and (laughs) to try to get away from inflation in the u.s now this brings up some some interesting you know thoughts here because again you know we've been talking about the you know invasion on the southern border now for quite some time we've just had train loads of people literally coming up from you know south america etc into the u.s across the border and we've been dealing with the border crisis now for the last you know, few years in particular. And, you know, this is something that's been going on for a while. And, you know, of course, we complain about the illegal immigration into the U.S. Wouldn't it be interesting, and there's kind of a – you know, a movie that's out, it's called 2012, and this was uh, supposedly the world was supposed to end because of climate crisis in 2012. We, we've survived that by a decade now, fortunately. We haven't had the climate crisis yet, so the movie's a bit dated. But in the movie, we have this climate crisis, and so everybody has to flee to Mexico, right? <laughs> so, you know, just, you know, kind of reverse border immigration, but people choosing to move to Mexico now to try to get away from you know, higher rates of inflation. And and again, these are the choices that are made. And look, once people move from the U.S. to Mexico, they're not coming back, right? Once you make that move, just because inflation goes away in the next, you know, six or nine months, they're not going to move back. They're buying houses there. They're moving there. They're getting, you know, transplanted there for one reason or the other. But we're starting to see this migration happening. And then this, this happens, right? There's consequences to... You know, to politics as we and, and political kind of diatribes that we've gone down, I and mean, we've gone down these roads of you know social justice and you know this thing, that thing, the other thing, and and they all have their roots ultimately, and, and no matter what it is, whether it's it's Black Lives Matters, whether it's social justice, whether it's you know people moving out of the country due to inflation or, or political climates, etc the roots of all of this comes back down to one thing which is economic inequality people are upset look if people are happy right if if people are happy and they're they've got a good job and they're able to support their family and the cost of living is reasonable and you know life is fairly you know complacent they're not out in the streets rioting right there's you you've got to look back in history and you see all this buildup and tensions as as this migration this really kind of began back in 2000 with and, and real kind of earnest after the dot-com crash, Enron all that that was really kind of the roots of the, of the beginning of this movement within the economy that started creating this wealth gap and again this is you know, Coming right off the heels of you know uh, choices by the Clinton administration to try to limit executive and CEO compensation that just turned on the water faucets for stock buybacks and share compensation and and these type of things. And that was the beginning of where we really started to see this wealth gap begin to to explode in the country. And then, of course, it really started to kind of come to a head. In 2008, during the financial crisis, because, again, during the financial crisis, the average person's losing their houses, they're losing their jobs, but the rich people are doing just fine. And that's where we saw the rise of, you know, uh, you know, Occupy Wall Street, uh, where, you know, people were finally starting to catch on that Wall Street was getting fat and everybody else was getting, you know, taken out for slaughter and then, of course, during the Obama administration and, and going forward from there, we began to see more and more of these, you know, this, this division within the country, a lot of it with its roots in economic inequalities, depending on cities where you live or states where you live, etc. And this has just been this building pressure within the economy. And this is all really kind of fostered down to the very fact that We have a predatory financial system. We have a Federal Reserve that's complicit in creating that predatory financial system. And then we make bad political choices doing things like shutting down the economy, thinking we can just turn it right back on again, flooding the system with this idea of modern monetary theory that had disastrous outcomes, creating the inflation we have now. And we've got, you know, administrations that are making choices, you know, again, this whole climate change issue, right? If you think climate change is an issue, that's great. Do something about it, right? Recycle, do these type of things. But one of the consequences of what we have now or or the consequence of these actions for climate change that has led to the problems we have now is, you know, attacking oil companies limiting permits. We don't want you to drill. You're bad. You're villainous, right? We need to we need to get rid of oil companies. Now, all of a sudden, because we have $6 a gallon gasoline, which was the inevitable outcome of all this, now you've got the president warning oil companies, if they don't drill more, there's going to be consequences. You can't force companies to go drill. And you can't force them to drill if you're not going to give them the permits and remove the restrictions to allow them to drill. And even if they do start drilling today, and look, they have been drilling, uh, oil, oil rig counts are coming up. They have been. A couple of years ago, the administration's all happy because we have negative oil prices, right? We finally got them. Boy, you know, we, we, we're going to crush these oil companies. Everybody's running out to buy electric cars. Now, $6 a gallon gasoline and, you know, electricity prices going through the roof. It ain't cheap, period. But these are the consequences of the decisions we make. And we make these decisions based on flawed premises to begin with. And then we don't like the outcomes. And and again, you know, if you believe in climate change, that's awesome. No problem with that. But the entire premise of how we get from where we were to, to where we want to be was entirely flawed. And the inevitable outcome is here. And everybody that was talking about this, you know, saying, hey, if you do these things, this is going to be the consequence. We're here now. And guess what? Nobody likes it. And now everybody's trying to figure out how to, re- how to, how to undo it. And you can't because you've let the genie out of the bottle. So people are now having to make these decisions about what do I do to combat inflationary pressures, Right. Inflation will take care of itself, as we've said before. And people are making and, – and, and the consequent and how inflation takes care of itself is exactly through the process of what you see happening, which is people making decisions to buy less, to travel less, to do less things, to save more money, move out of the country. <laughs> you know, these have economic impacts, not in the short term, but also in the long term. You know, inflation is one thing. Inflation is controllable. We can do a lot of things to try to control the rate of inflation. Deflation is extremely difficult to control because it's a mindset. Once you start getting the reverse of inflation, which will come, you will get into a disinflationary leading to deflationary environment, and this will be coincident with the recession, the problem with deflation is, is that the Fed has little capability to actually change a mental mindset. And the mental mindset that happens with deflation is, is that consumers start going, yeah, I see prices are getting cheaper, but I'm going to wait because I think they're going to get even cheaper from here. And then they get cheaper and then they go, well, I think it'll get cheaper. and So they, keep, they, they stop sp- that, that, that cessation of spending starts to get ingrained as individuals start to look for lower and lower prices during the deflationary spin. And that's why it's very difficult to change that mentality. And that's why deflation is really a much bigger threat for the Fed than inflation. But part of that deflationary process is also financial instability. And those two two really go hand in hand. And, you know, the biggest risk for the Federal Reserve is, again, a potential pickup in financial instability that begins to disrupt areas of the financial markets that directly affect consumption. This is your credit cards, your housing, jobs, those type of things. So where is it that the Fed is going to be watching for things? You know, if you start to see jobless claims pop above 300,000, Fed's got a problem. If you start to see employment drop to 150,000 jobs a month, Fed's got a problem. Because once those things start to occur, you're in the trap. Because when those things start to occur, you start to see jobless claims pop up. You start to see employment roll over. Those trends don't stop on a dime. Be right back after the break. Wrap up the show.
0: news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: Hurricane season is here, and along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go, and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
1: the this morning. So futures are pointing up nicely this morning. Dow's up about 200 points, uh Nasdaq's up about 110, and uh the s and trading up nicely this morning as well. So again, kind of a after a uh just a literal beating over the last, you know, 3-4 days, markets are c- trying to bounce it a little bit kind of pre-Fed meeting. We uh closed about half our short position yesterday. Uh, just uh, kind of expecting a bounce here. Uh, again, you know we're we're severely underweight equity. Um, we're actually underweight kind of everything. We're underweight bonds, underweight equity, uh, and portfolios right now. A lot of cash, and and just kind of waiting to to allow some of these things to try to work themselves out a bit, and start trying to make those decisions to reallocate capital. And again, when we get to the point that we're going to start talking about buying equity you're not going to want to we're not going to want to nobody's going to want to buy equity when you should be but just a couple of interesting stats by the way if you bought the S&P historically there've been 140 technical bear markets throughout history and that's when a market is down 20% or more historically if you had bought the S&P, the day it went into a bear market, you made about 22% over the next 12 months. And the reason for that is is that, yes, markets could go lower in the short term, but bear markets tend to be fairly swift, nasty events. That's why they call them bear markets. They maul you, they're, they're quick, they're brutal, um, and then they, they go away. And then you're back into your bull market, which tends to be a longer kind of drawn-out affair. It doesn't go down as quick. I mean, it doesn't go up as quick as the markets went down. You know, it takes you on average about four or five years to get back to even after a bear market. But you tend to start making money. And this is, you know, and again, you know, trying to buy things that are cheaper in nature, those type of things. And, and you know, the question though is, and, and the mistake that investors make is always trying to time the exact bottom. I got a long email this morning from... You know, a, a listener talking about Elliott Wave and giving me the whole Elliott Wave analysis for why this market's got to go lower. And and look, um, you know, Elliott Wave has been around. Elliott Wave analysis. So there's a lot of fans and practitioners of Elliott Wave. Nothing wrong with it. It's a, it's another form of technical analysis. And there's a bajillion of them out there. There's not one that I use in particular. My problem personally with Elliott Wave is there's a bad habit with the analysis to go back and relabel things. And it's like you're in the middle of a decline, you're like, okay, this is an ABC wave. No, and then the market rallies. Well, no, it wasn't an ABC. It was a one, two, three, four, five wave, and you know, wave. And, and so we go back and kind of change labels to kind of fit the narrative of what's happening. And I like things that are more static in nature. This is what it was. This is where I am. And was I right or was I wrong? And what do I got to do from here? That's just me. Everybody's different, but again, a lot of analysis here suggesting that markets can go substantially lower. And look, there's there's plenty of case to be made for that. Again, just to get back to the 200-week moving average, you know, we've got another, you know, hundred hundred two hundred points to fall on the S and P. Now. The problem with, you know, that is that things can change very quickly. And so the problem with trying to time the exact bottom is also just as problematic for investors as trying to get out of the markets. You know, we, we all want to be in when the markets are going up, and then we don't want to be in when the markets are going down. And, and that doesn't work on a portfolio management basis over the long term. You can't time the markets that effectively. The problem, as always, is the case, is getting back in. Because, again, at the time that you want to be buying stocks, and let's just assume that today marked the bottom of the market and the market starts rallying. Well, right now, nobody wants to own stocks. Nobody wants to buy anything because it's just going to keep going down. we got that feeling that this market can't go anywhere but down, right? The Fed's hiking rates. We've got tighter monetary policy, reducing their balance sheet. Historically, every time they do that, the markets go down. Markets don't generally ha- haven't previously fallen this much prior to the rate hikes and the, and the tightening of the balance sheet. So the markets have been pricing in what the Fed's going to do now in advance. And again, we don't have a lot of history to work with in terms of the markets and, and Fed changes to balance sheets. I mean, they only started this whole QE, QT thing going back to you know 2009. So we only have about 12 years of history to work with. That's not a lot in terms of the global context of the financial markets going back 150 years, right? And so trying to make assessments and judgments at this point saying, oh, this market has a lot more to go down because of the Fed is dangerous because we've never actually – had a bear market during Fed actions. We've had corrections. 2018, we were down, you know, 19%. 2020, we shut down the economy. Yeah, we were down 35%, but we never broke the long-term bullish trend. We haven't done so now. Right now, we're still within a correction within the bullish uptrend that began in 2009. So even though we're down 20%, we're you know, technically in a bear market because of that's just the arbitrary number we use to mark bear markets. But technically what a bear market is is when prices are trending negatively, not positively. And right now, we're still within a long-term bullish uptrend. I know that's hard to put your head around, but that's just the case. So the problem here, again, begins to you know, determine how we navigate markets. When do we put money back to work? How do we put money back to work? Where do we want to put money back to work? And, you know, these are always the things that we deal with that are the most challenging because the things you want to buy, right now everybody wants to buy energy, but it's extremely overbought. Oil prices are going to crash with inflation. So when that that eventual reversion and inflation occurs, oil prices are going to go right down with it. So do you really want to be long energy when that starts to occur? Or do you want to be long stuff that everybody hates when that begins to occur? And that's where we've got to really start thinking about portfolio strategy. You know, what what is going to be the next asset class? Where do we want to put our money next? Because that's what's going to start to perform in the next iteration of this environment, market, and economy. And that's a tough challenge because, again, you've got to start buying stuff that absolutely nobody wants. But that inherently is the very nature of investing. Buy cheap, sell high, right? We don't do that normally. We get locked into these ideas that are the current mainstream theme at the moment that seem to be accurate because it's working right now. But we've got to look past the now to where we're going to be, and start thinking about what happens next and when is it going to happen. And we've got to start preparing for that now. We may be wrong for a while, right? We may be wrong for a good bit. could be a few months. But there's some pretty clear odds right now that in the next 12 months, inflation will be substantially lower, oil prices will be lower. Gas prices will be lower. The economy will be you know, slowing or on the brink of a recession. Next 12 months, the Fed will be cutting rates, not hiking rates. And in that environment, where do I want to be investing? But again, I've got to get from here to 12 months from now. And the big challenge is going to be how do I start preparing for what I'm fairly certain are going to be the market details in various areas in 12 months. Those things are pretty certain. They're pretty clear. History tells us a lot about what happens next. So the question is, do you start buying today? Do you buy a little today, a lot today? Do you buy a little bit over time? Do you start building these positions? How do you time these things? That's where it all becomes very challenging. But that's what we've got to start thinking through mentally about looking for those opportunities that are out there and saying, okay, where are we going to next? Again, it's easy to get locked into, and this is the dangerous part, right? It's easy to get locked into this trend can only go lower from here. There's all these things that are out there right now, the Russia war uh, with Ukraine what's happening with oil prices what's happening with the, the with the administration what's happening with this that the other thing and there's nothing good as I said at the open this morning you know we've got the entire story of Mad Max on the brink world's coming to an end can't get gas <laughs> you know it's terrible plagues locusts heat waves you got it Nothing good in that environment. Eventually, it changes. question is, is when, what causes it, and how fast does it change? And the problem for most investors is, is going to be recognizing that change and beginning to make those adjustments accordingly. That's what's going to eventually separate winners from losers. What happened with a lot of people after the financial crisis is they never got back in the markets because they were always convinced the market was never coming back. That's the thing that we have to battle as investors is our own emotional biases and set a lot of these rhetorics and narratives aside and start thinking about this is where we are and what changes and when does it change. And then start making those assumptions accordingly and and invest accordingly. All right, that wraps up the show for the day p's up 35 points right now we'll see if we can maintain that at the open Fed meets this afternoon at two o'clock we'll have their announcement uh their after press conference we'll see what um, Powell, uh, Powell has to say and we'll talk about that more in detail tomorrow with Michael Leibowitz right here on the real investment show I'm real Science Roberts have a great day see you back here tomorrow
0: well,
1: to wish that's worth.